I need to change, Sandra. No, you don't. What? You're the only person in Mercury who could write a book or wear a dress like that. I'm sure there's plenty of other people who could. Everyone here is fat and dumb. Don't say that. And you think so? Everyone wishes that they could be like you. You know, living in the big city, all famous and beautiful and all that. I'm not really famous. We know, special or whatever. I mean, some days when I have a slow shift at work, I'll sit and think about you living in your cool apartment, going out and stuff. Seems really nice. Yeah. But... And most people here seem so happy with so little. It's like... They don't even seem to care what happens to them. That's because it doesn't matter what happens to them. They're nothing. Might as well die. Fuck Mercury. God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? You think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 126, Young Adult. It was definitely one of my favorite movies the year it came out, whatever year that was. 2011. Wow. Hard to believe that long ago already. Yep. Yeah, it it is interesting, though, because it's like... I always, like, start watching stuff with people, and I'm like, yeah, this, this was, like, one of my favorite movies of that year, and, like, they get into it and start to, like, see what the content is, and they're like, what's your deal, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I don't know who you're hanging out with, but <laughs> yeah, it makes sense to me. Uh, thank you. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, certainly I think we're basically Charlize Theron and Patton Oswalt from this movie. <laughs> Well, yeah, Patton Oswalt's character is named Matt. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, this movie came on the heels of two pretty big successes for director Jason Reitman with Juno and Up in the Air. So it's kind of like a fun thing that he'll... It's a weird curveball. Yeah. It's kind of fun that he's now teamed up with Diablo Cody multiple times. Yes. And he teamed up with Diablo Cody and Charlize Theron this past year with Tully, which is kind of a companion piece almost to this. Yeah. Feels where like it's it. like, yeah. you could look at it in the sense that there's a fork in the road. And <laughs> one version one way, yeah. is Mavis Gary and Young Adult, and the other version is this person from Tully. Right. 
The box office for Young Adult wasn't super strong. It didn't really receive a ton of awards recognition. I think Charlize Theron was nominated for a Golden Globe, but not an Oscar. And it kind of just came and went. But now, it's a shockingly... all these years later, I think it's caught on. It's grown in oh, stature. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear that. I mean, it is like a shockingly hard watch. You don't really expect it to be as blunt and dark as it is. Yeah, the main difference between this movie and Reitman's previous two were no redemption in this movie. Right, yeah. Even at the very end, which I think is what drew Reitman to the script. Because originally what what was going to occur was he was all set to make Labor Day, which is a film he would go on to make later. Lucky after for us, adult. yeah. <laughs> but for whatever reason, Labor Day got pushed until 2012 pre-production, and there all of a sudden was a window to do Young Adult. Diablo had sent him the script to just to get notes on, be like, what do you think of this? And he read it, and he got to the end of the movie, and he was like, those ending scenes, right? like the really cringy confrontation on the lawn, the love scene with Patton Oswalt's yes. character, and, of course, the great scene from this <laughs> yes. movie with... Colette Our favorite, Wolf's character. yeah. Yeah, we'll get to Colette Wolf, my future wife. Yeah, kind of a Sybil <laughs> Shepherd type character for us, really. And those three scenes made him want to direct this because it was unlike anything he had read before. And so he had a 30-day window. He gets Charlie Theron on board, and they just hurry up and make it. To me, it's maybe his most interesting film. I, I don't mean, know if it's his best, but it's, it's a quick, definitely the most interesting. It's a quick movie, but it, it packs a punch. You know? Oh, yeah. I don't know what the runtime is. It's, it's like an hour 33. Okay, yeah. I think. Have we done an episode of this show longer than the movie? I guess we have, right? Yes. Hook, for sure. <laughs> yeah, there have been times. Okay, yeah. but I, I think I most think even often, Days of Confused right, was yeah, longer for than the sure. movie. It's got to be. Sometimes it takes a while for a movie to find its audience. And from what I've been hearing, I think that people have kind of started to catch on to this movie being an undiscovered gem from that time period. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you talk about like unique movies and unique narratives that you don't see very often, I mean, how many movies have you seen that kind of follow this trajectory? Yeah, and I think it's telling that you could make the case that Jennifer's body has kind of caught on too. So I really Which is really what this show is actually about. <laughs> is the promotion of Jennifer's right. body. I just think that Diablo Cody's scripts are underappreciated because she got so much attention right out the gate with Juno and there's so much there was emphasis like a backlash on, immediately. Yeah, and there's a lot of emphasis on the cutesy puns and weird words and funny language and super clever oh right yeah and so people were kind of like well this is gimmicky but she kind of threw the gimmicks away starting with this movie and people weren't really prepared for it And it's kind of this unflinching portrayal of someone with really deep-seated mental issues but oh, at the yeah. same time i don't know a fuck you like personality that i don't know it's somehow repulsive but also attractive maybe that's just because an attractive woman is playing the character but well, there's something yeah. endearing about this character in a weird way because I agree. there's no filter to it uh, yeah and uh it's kind of fun to spend time with her even though she's so horrible you just kind of want to see how far she's going to push things the most interesting part of the movie may be the fact that the whole thing with buddy and buddy's wife and the child and her trying to win back buddy is almost window dressing to this love story between two people that hate the world so much <laughs> yeah. and have this weird connection. That's the way people describe our relationship. 
It's like you finally find someone that hates all of the same things you hate. Yeah, there is some hard truths in this movie. And when they're talking about how just like being happy and like fitting into society is so easy for some people and how it's like so hard for them. I'm like, yeah. oh boy, yeah. And they both that one have, hits close. They both have their justification for the way that they are. But we don't know that at the outset. Right with Mavis's character and then eventually we find out with the Matt character we find out pretty early on what his deal is but her thing is kind of secretive up until the end as to what maybe caused her to be like this yeah it's just such a unique ending to this movie which is kind of what makes this movie work if that ending was not the ending of this movie and instead it was something like she learns this lesson and he tries to change and yeah it would be dumb. I watched a lot of the bonus features on the Blu-ray, and Diablo Cody was talking about it. it was like, people don't really change that much. It's not <laughs> right, really yeah. how it is in movies. People kind of stay the same. And and it's usually like some rationalization as to why you should stay the same, which we see like via a conversation at the end of this movie. Yeah, and without this ending, I don't know if I would have felt like I needed to ever come back to it. Well, yeah, because you're not expecting, you're expecting it to go one way and then it completely goes the other way right at the very end of the movie. And there's a lot of interesting questions that we can get into regarding the Mavis character and some of the things that happen and maybe some of the things that we think may have happened or things that we think should have happened or whatever. But before we do that, let's Remind our listeners to follow the show on Twitter, <laughs> at Greatest Pod, subscribe on iTunes. Yeah, I would say before we get into like the plot or anything, I mean, Jason Reitman is definitely a director who, at times, I've been very invested in, in thinking like, oh, what's this guy going to do next? I've been liking his career moves and the stuff he's been putting out, but it, boy, has he had some misses, too. It, Labor Day, I, I don't know what is going on there. I, well, I didn't see it. Me but. neither. <laughs> I haven't seen but a few wasn't of wasn't seeing the now. trailer like enough to just be like, you know what? I don't think I so. I don't even remember the trailer. I just know Kate Winslet and Josh Bowen are in it, but I don't really remember much He had some it. other movie that got just like completely shredded by the critics. 2014 Men, Women, and Children. Oh, yeah. Is that the one with Adam Sandler? Uh, it mm, might. <laughs> Looks like an ensemble cast, maybe. Critical yeah, I, response, I never saw that one either. 31% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Not great. I don't know. I th- I liked Tully. I'm I'm kind of like back in the mix with him. Oh, but now he's doing a Ghostbusters movie. Right. Yeah. Which is kind of weird. Yeah. It was kind of a shocking announcement considering yeah. that they that just happened, it. right? Like a couple yeah. days ago. Yeah. He's picking up the mantle. He's taking the mantle from his father, who did the original. And instead of this being in any way connected to the Paul Feig one that we got with Melissa McCarthy, and <laughs> it's a sequel to the old ones in some way yeah it takes place in the same universe as the original two movies i guess but i don't know if that means people will be in it that were in the other ones i have no idea but young adult is kind of the unheralded masterpiece because up in the air made a lot of money and was kind of the critical darling well yeah and it got like academy award nominations and juno also got a lot of nominations and was hugely successful kind of out of nowhere but young adult is the most difficult right realistic is definitely harsh <laughs> yeah least amount of mainstream appeal to it yes it's crazy if they wouldn't have gotten Charlize theron to play the lead i don't know if they could even get any financing at all for this because it's such a 
bleak <laughs> subject matter. Yeah. You kind of need an A-list star to carry it because otherwise, unless you make it on like a shoestring budget or something, which I'm sure they right. didn't spend a ton of money on it, but you know what I mean. Though. Yeah. It's, it would be a lot more difficult to even get this into theaters. Can I help you find something? Sure. I'm not having a ton of luck here. Is this something for work? No, it's a special occasion. It's not a formal occasion. I'm looking for something chic, clean, but also a bit edgy. Okay, we have some adorable new dresses that just came in. Yeah, do you have a Marc Jacobs? Uh, no, I don't think we have that one. Mm. I'm going to a rock concert with an old flame, and I think there is a chance we may reconnect. <sighs> Let's show him what he's been missing. No, he's seen me recently, he knows. But his wife hasn't seen me in a while, so. The movie starts right out with her, you know, and right away when I saw this movie in 2011, I was like, oh, yeah, I know this girl's life. Because it's just like apartment, a mess, like reality TV playing like all the time, mm-hmm. just chugging soda out of a two liter bottle. I'm like, yeah, yes. I mean, this is my life at various points in it. And it's also where I feel like I'm heading. You know, <laughs> her hair's falling out. Well, she's pulling her hair. Right. Yeah. Which is, I looked up what that was called, but now I can't remember. It was some complicated disorder. Name. Yeah. Okay. Mavis Gary living in an anonymous high rise apartment, constant stream of reality TV, definitely a little too much drinking. <laughs> yeah. Just like empty wine bottles <laughs> on the bedstand. A lot of Diet Coke in the apartment. She's got that poor dog named Dolce. Who never seems to be able to actually go outside right. or anything. Yeah. <laughs> Just those assholes that live in apartments and then like keep their dogs in there all the time. It's also kind of fun because she lives in Minneapolis and it's like you're used to seeing it in movies when it's just like snow and so cold looking. Yeah. It's just kind of off season, <laughs> summertime or something now. So Mavis is moderately successful. She's a ghostwriter of a popular or formerly popular young adult fiction series called Waverly Prep. Where we get our uh, title for the movie from. Yes, and her trying to write this last Waverly Prep book for this series that's soon to be canceled works hand in hand with what we're seeing in the action of the movie. She's using her life experience to sort of inspire the story that she's going to use for this final book and in a way it makes perfect sense because she's still fixated on the past that late adolescence or high school time period and that's what she's writing about in these books and she's trying to overhear people talking about different things or whatever and then she'll take what they say and kind of incorporate that into her writing yeah but it's a convenient occupation for her to have because of how she thinks and where her mindset is. It's what, still very much in right. that time period well, of her life. One of the interesting details about like the story and where she's at, which is definitely like mentioned a couple times, but it's not really like a focal point, is the fact that she was married and mm-hmm. now she's divorced. Yes. And you're not sure how that's left her. What were a lot of these problems existing like through the marriage or is some of this a reaction to the divorce? Yeah, I kind of think that her issues were probably a big factor in the divorce. I'm thinking, yeah. (laughs) So Mavis is living her life when she gets this baby announcement email from, I guess her ex-boyfriend Buddy's wife is where it originated from. Yeah, It's kind of, you kind of have to piece that together from a deleted scene that it it came from his wife. Watching this part again, 
it kind of happens quickly and it's like it's sort of weird even the way it happens like you wouldn't really expect i don't know she prints it out too right <laughs> yeah because she immediately obsesses over this thing yeah. that she takes as some sort of a sign i guess you kind of have to piece it together because you're not sure if he sent it to her or what because it's unclear she right. just gets it and I think there's a deleted scene where she's bitching about this to her friend, being like, it's like a slap in the face. Like, what? why would this happen? No, I think that's in the cut where she's talking to her friend. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- there's, a, there's a different scene where she's on the phone. Okay. Yeah, the one in person, yeah. She immediately concocts this narrative of what must be going on with Buddy. And I'm assuming she does this because of her initial hurt from finding out about this. I guess so, yeah. She kind it's, of just takes this email and runs with it to the point where she's like, he's not happy. He's being held hostage. One thing that I always have a hard time buying through this whole movie is really the buddy element of it. You know what I mean? And yeah, her well, being in him. Yeah, I have, a, I have some thoughts on that. Okay. I, don't get me wrong. Like, As we go through this, it will become more and more apparent that Mavis is definitely not a good person and she does a lot of bad things but yeah it doesn't take too long before but, she starts revealing that and i i strongly believe that but at the same time i think there's another narrative to this movie that you could put some culpability on some of the people around her in the movie yeah i think so for not recognizing beth culpable <laughs> i think both beth and buddy have should have intentions. known better yeah. about some of the stuff they were doing it does I think, seem like I, they're I, putting her in inappropriate Right, and I think that to anybody that spent any amount of time with her, they should have recognized some signs that maybe she was struggling. Now, this woman (laughs) who plays Beth... Elizabeth Reeser. Yeah, she was in Mad Men, right? Yeah, she She was in Twilight. My favorite character from Mad Men, the one that Don has to go across the country trying to find. This was the first thing I remember seeing her in, though. I think I recognized her from Twilight. Yeah, and shit like I had. Def- I would have definitely s- had seen the Twilight movies by this point, but I-, I guess I wasn't putting that together. So Mavis decides to leave Minneapolis to return to her hometown of Mercury, Minnesota, and this is where we get the opening credit sequence, which is kind of cool because it's mixed with her driving and then those shots of like the interior workings of a cassette and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's that famous see-through cassette that if you were old enough to remember those days everyone had these cassettes at some okay. point <laughs> tell us about it well that's it okay there you go <laughs> it's just that weird see-through cassette with weird colored shapes on right. it one thing that's kind of cool about this movie that always jumps out is the soundtrack and they use this teenage fan club song at the beginning <laughs> over and, and then over. over throughout it Teenage Fan Club is such an interesting choice, and I was watching some of the bonus features on the Blu-ray. I guess this is not a song that Jason Reitman was a fan of or a band or anything, and this was specifically notated in the script that it should be this song and oh, everything. Oh, that was a Diablo and, Cody thing? And the thing that you, is kind of cool about Teenage Fan Club, not necessarily for them because it kind of sucks for them, but it's kind of a footnote in history. The month before Nevermind by nirvana came out spin magazine called teenage fan club the one band that you need to know or like the most important band or whatever oh (laughs) wow you know a month later everything changed and they were this power pop band in a world of grunge and they've kind of been lost to time and history yeah but i think ben gibbard did like a cover album of this one that has this song on it yeah like he did the whole album they're a cool band and if you're into like 
a certain kind of music than they are important. They're kind of oh yeah descended from. Big I've Star definitely driven around listening to. Is this the concept? Is that yeah. the name of the song? And you know, let it play out for a little bit, then restart it because how good is that beginning? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really long song with that like part of the that like just on and on solo. But it's kind <laughs> yeah. of funny that her character just rewinds it back to the beginning over and over. Right. She's returning to Mercury, I guess, with some sort of a vague idea of a plan, and it does. I mean, it doesn't take long for the viewer to figure out what this plan is. Well, yeah, but she talks openly about it to other characters. She keeps referring to this quote real estate thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which is so vague and dumb. Well, she stops to buy clothes like pretty early on, right? I mean, doesn't she go into that? She goes into that store, and the she says something to that woman. That's after. Oh, okay, is that's it? after she sees Buddy the first time. Okay, gotcha. Because that's when she's gonna go to the have dinner at their house and then. Okay, the so show. that's after the first meeting. Okay. Yeah, because she says to the lady like, "Oh no, he saw me recently. It's just his wife that has." Oh right. Me a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's the good line. So Mavis is traveling through Mercury, and she gets back, and it's kind of this suburban wasteland. You see the Staples and the Home Depot and the fast food Petland chains and. Kentaco Hut, which yep. is kind of a focal point of the movie. Right. She arrives in town. She calls Buddy on the phone to try to set something up. She's about to walk into just a bar some... called Woody's. Yeah. Which is just kind of like a regular salt of the earth bar. Oh, yeah. And she's like, why don't you just meet me there in 15 minutes? And he, right. immediately she's not picking up on that there's been I mean, a change right. in how <laughs> other people she, are living. Even though it was that change was emailed to her she got <laughs> notification of this change yeah she's not picking up on right normal social cues. so yeah it's, that's a, a big piece of this movie right i mean not picking up on social cues and like the just as an audience member how painful that is to watch yeah you're kind of like how can she not pick up on some of these things because it's not like she's dumb no she's living in kind of a delusion and it springs from her pain, I guess. Yeah, is this some sort of, of like things. mania, like just some sort of like manic, a little bit, yeah, state that's like driving her to this goal. But Buddy suggests that they meet the next day at a place called Champion O'Malley's, which he describes as quote kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> and we've tried to recreate. <laughs> and this I'll tell experience. you right now, Champion O'Malley's is not kind of fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's nobody's idea of fun. I don't know. I think my dad, that's like his type of joint. <laughs> And she wants to meet at, like, 8.30. And he's right. like, oh, well, no, I think 6 would be better. <laughs> Again, she's not even remotely on the same page. Yeah, and I mean, this is a, this happens, like, a few times throughout the movie where she doesn't dress appropriate for the occasion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she is just so overdoing it. But before that, though, before yeah. we get to right. Champion, this is when she meets Matt Freehoff, played by Patton Oswalt. What? I'm sorry, but I, I I think we went to high school together. The same time? Yeah. You're Mavis Gary? Mavis Gary Crane now. I'm Matt Freehoff. Uh, my, my locker was actually next to yours all through high school. Matt. Freehoff. Yeah. Yeah, your, your locker was right there next to mine we didn't run in the same circles you were you were pretty popular if i remember correctly you won best hair did i what did you win i didn't uh they usually 
give out like 15 of those and, and only to like the same five people. This is the one guy she can truly be herself around. Yeah, and Matt is a famous guy in the area because she knows him as hate crime guy because a bunch of jocks attacked him in the woods and beat him up with a crowbar on his legs and Which dick is because they thought he was gay. Yeah. <laughs> but also, it's just like they beat him so bad with a crowbar. It just seems like so over the top. I mean, I guess like hate crimes, you know, but doesn't it seem nuts that the storyline here is they just kept beating him repeatedly with a crowbar? It's like, what happened to these dudes? Yeah, I mean, you would think that regardless of whether or not it fell under a true hate crime or not, that they would at least face some prison time or something. Yeah, and then the whole harsh reality to this story is that when people found out that he's not actually gay, (laughs) the story kind of went away. Right, yeah. Which, I think in reality, I don't think that would necessarily change it from being a hate crime because the motivation would still be the same regardless right. of whether or not the people were right or wrong and what they were thinking. Well, absolutely. I think anytime you beat someone with a crowbar, it's usually inspired by hate. <laughs> For whatever reason, though, I guess Mavis recognizes a kindred soul as far as being upset and angry with the world and well, willing to get drunk, but she right. confides in Matt her plan and she tells him that Buddy Slade and I are meant to be together. And I find it interesting that Matt sticks up for Buddy's life. He's uh, Immediately, he's like, don't do this. He's happily married. He has a yeah. kid. I don't know. If you're talking about some guy like Matt, it feels as if he would be like, well, whatever. I don't care. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Listen, if I look like Patton Oswalt, and you know, we're not far from it. And Charlie Theron walks into a bar and sits down next to me and starts telling me all this stuff. I'm just going along with whatever she says. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Fuck Buddy's wife. I think also the reality of who Buddy would be as far as the type of guys that Mavis would actually go out with. It seems as if Buddy would more than likely have been involved in the assault on Matt's character. It does seem possible. Now, yeah. in the movie, Buddy is seems like a pretty good guy, and he wouldn't have done anything like that, and blah, blah, blah. But I'm talking about just projecting what I would assume yeah. Mavis would have been attracted to in high school. It seems like the type of guy. Because at the, one point, I think Buddy's like, didn't you call him a theater fag oh, and all right. that stuff? Yeah. So it seems well, it like they were willing to bully. Yeah, and I mean, they do. There's There's definitely some parts that make it clear that Buddy still kind of has this leftover impression of Matt just like being like a nerd or whatever, like a loser. He makes a couple comments. So it ends there. Mavis gets a taxi. This is her first night of drinking in Mercury. There will be plenty more That's to right. follow. Yeah. So the next day is the day that she's going to meet Buddy at Champion O'Malley's. I like the, I don't know what you would call it, the tagline of the bar on the sign it says champion o'malley's where everyone's a winner (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like you know such just a bland sports bar basically yeah and she is dressed for dinner at the ritz (laughs) yeah she's wearing a little black dress a lot of cleavage i mean she does look stunning yeah i'll say that well yeah okay heels right i believe yeah it's an odd character and Charlie's has a history of embracing the negative aspects of these characters. She's kind of fearless in that sense, but she's never not Charlie's Theron. Right. Yeah, she's still <laughs> I mean, she still looks like one a movie of the star. most beautiful women in the world. So she's waiting and she's pretending to text and sticking out like a sore thumb in this place whenever Buddy finally arrives. So 
this is the first time we actually see Buddy's face because I think when he was on the phone before, we just see him like putting the breast milk in the little okay bottles yeah. or whatever. He's, you don't actually see the camera pan up to his face, right, but now gotcha. we see that he's Patrick Wilson, who's kind of the perfect guy for this part. Yeah, he's got kind of that everyman vibe. He's attractive enough where you would think that yes, Charlie Saron could be interested in this guy for yeah. sure. But he's also an everyman, and he's also fucking boring, which is yeah. kind of the whole thing. He plays this character buddy. well. And, yeah, like, you just buy him as this dude that's like, yeah, I grew up here. I stay here. Like, I work at the place that my father works. Oh, when he starts going on about eating lunch with his dad at work and the things that yeah. they have, you're just like, are you fucking kidding me? Well, this is the guy that she's hung up on? Right away, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't – they hit it over the head a million times i mean it can't be understated buddy is just a complete dope he is such a bore (laughs) yeah because mavis is a fucked up person and a bad person but she is at least interesting and maybe that's part of it you know maybe that's part of what we're supposed to take out of this that (laughs) boring people are uninteresting but they are happy yeah and well i think a big part of it is mavis can't understand why anybody else is happy right because she's not happy yeah, and I, I which get, is something that people who aren't happy tend to right, be able to relate I, listen, to. I get this critique from Mavis. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, these people are so much worse than me. They're not as attractive as me. They're not as successful as me. They never got out of this town, and yet somehow they're happy with this. Why am I not happy? Yeah, someone explain this to me, please. Just so happens that Matt works at Champion O'Malley's, which right. is kind of like one of those things. I heard about this the one on some podcast called a, somebody was talking about this writers' room thing where. They would call it the House of Buys. Yeah. It's like, do you buy this? And you have to call up the House of Buys and you have to explain it. And it's like, would you buy this? It's like, could you buy that the night after meeting Matt, he just right. so happens to work at the Southern Bar? And it's like, yeah, I think the House of Buys would okay. approve it, but barely. <laughs> right. This seems like a little um, bit of like, okay, really? Now, is Champion O'Malley's where they play the show as well? Yes. Okay. So he's, the, you know, because he just continues to pop up. Mavis does point it out where he's right. like he's always lurking. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I don't. What even is his job here? He does some sort of like accounting for them. Yeah, it's really kind of left vague. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't really make any sense. This is when we find out Mavis was married to a guy named Alan. They're no longer married. Well, yeah, Buddy asks her about it. Yes, right? yeah. it's clear that they have kind of kept in a little bit of touch. Yeah, for the fact that he knew that her husband's name. And we never. Although kept... it does feel like I mean. How long has it been since they've been in communication? I would say it feels like it's been a while. Right. But, but I don't know. I guess they do have each other's phone numbers and everything, right? I guess. And we never get any impression of Facebook or anything like that. So I, it's kind of, we don't know. I guess by the time 2011 rolled around, you could conceivably know a lot about your exes. Not me, because it's not like I would ever be friends with them on Facebook. <laughs> but <laughs> They weren't accepting that friend request. <laughs> yeah, I mean... There's, you were like the end of social network. I feel just like cle- you gotta cle- make sure refresh. there's a really torched bridge in your yeah. past. Like, you can't leave any bridges there. You gotta yeah. burn them all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I- I'm with you a little bit. I mean, you know... Well, as long as that bridge hasn't been burned down, there's always a temptation to cross it again <laughs> you gotta make and sure you know, it's gone right bomb it <laughs> when you made this decision at that time you were like i can't ever go down this road again i just wrote down buddy is nice but ultimately super oblivious i do think that mavis lays it on pretty thick throughout and he never seems to well i can't i can't tell the way he is at the end i'm like is he oblivious or is he just like 
trying his hardest to push her away without being like rude. Yeah, I do think there's that, but if you accept the idea that okay, let's let's hypothetically say that everyone's kind of aware at how much of a train wreck Mavis is and they feel bad for her, which is kind of the narrative that they push at the very end. How do people know that though? I don't know. Okay. But I guess a history of being a train wreck. <laughs> but if that's the case, then everything they do is actually not helpful at all. You know what I'm saying? Right. They hide behind this Midwest all... niceness that we see in movies like Fargo, just constantly being nice, killing people with kindness, but that's not really going to help her. That's actually just feeding her delusions. Yeah. What was that Scorsese movie with DiCaprio that's like kind of the horror movie where they go to that island? Shutter Island. Yeah, Shutter Island. I, I mean, this is kind of like a whole Shutter <laughs> Island scenario, you know, like they're setting this Well, whole... I don't know if it's necessarily that in-depth. <laughs> Especially, if, that's the thing you never, you never get a full read on the perspective of Buddy and his wife, Beth. Right. You don't know if, I I always kind of got the feeling that they, did, they didn't know at first that the whole thing with inviting her to the baby naming thing and all that stuff that comes up later is only as a result of everything that's happened yes, in the yes, movie, right. not anything predating the movie. Yeah. She was gone and out of the town and everything, and then she comes back and she's exhibiting some pretty telltale signs of a fucked up life. Right. I don't think she does a great job I'm at sure hiding how much of an alcoholic she is. Well, yeah, and I'm sure, I mean, it's a small town. I'm sure that there's people talking about, like, the fact that she's out at these bars at night. Right, yeah. You know, that's probably, like, getting around. Now, do you think Beth's whole initial willingness to want to help and have Mavis be involved is because that she already knows the full backstory with her? Based on the reaction of the other people in the band that Beth is in, yeah, I think they all went to the same high school. Right. And although it's hard to say because I do feel like I'm kind of going on the same path that I went down in the Days and Confused episode where I referenced the deleted scenes, but the deleted scenes sometimes provide context that is taken out and then you're kind of like left without it. But she says on the phone in one of these scenes that she only met Beth once okay. before. Right. So I don't know. In the movie as it is, you kind of have the sense that everyone went to the same. Yeah, high that's school, what I was. But thinking. I don't know if that's the case. I, I just figured Beth was another girl from school. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that Beth and Buddy are bad people or anything like that, or what they're doing is malicious. But I don't think that they can comprehend how someone can be like this. Yeah, they're not. I think the I've had my own experiences with this, by the way. You know, I'm mean, from the, which end? <laughs> I can't say. No, I just mean, like, I don't know. I have, I certainly have, like, friends and family who have, like, normal lives and they don't really understand me, <laughs> I think, you know? I mean, I, I try to be normal, but it, it's difficult. Yeah. I don't even try anymore. Right. <laughs> You're way worse than me. I just think, like, like I said, they're not malicious and they're not doing anything wrong necessarily, but they're not equipped enough to know how to handle something like this and everything they're doing is actually wrong and making it worse yeah they're trying to be nice and i believe that there's sincerity in that to a certain extent but sometimes the best intentions are, it doesn't translate to positive actual results you know what i mean like, oh certainly i think this whole thing turns into a humiliating event for where everyone they've been leading yeah. her on and it's when you look back at it, if what they say is true and you have to take their word for it, as far as Beth making Buddy invite her to the whole thing at the end, 
then they really don't have anyone to blame but themselves for setting this up. Yeah, that's true. They could have just they, let it be. If what was she? Because what? Okay, so Buddy says that Beth forced him to invite her because she felt sorry for Mavis. Well, if that's true, that's what did she feel sorry hear. for her for? Do you know what I mean? That's well, what, what was that's it? That's why I'm thinking it's that she knows there's more to like her past and like what's gone on with the whole. Well, thing okay, that we we'll get out. to the ending because it it's it's complicated. Yeah, we don't really know what who knows what right. and what all. I'm never really even clear if Buddy even knew about the big revelation. Well, yeah, that's I don't another. Even know. I mean, Buddy doesn't have when everything's like on the table and shit is going down. I mean, Buddy doesn't have a lot to say. Yeah, because I mean, it which makes, is just kind of like everything, every other scene that he's in. Yeah, because it's like one of those things where you kind of have an injured animal, you know, and they're dangerous because they, you know, or they're lashing out, <laughs> right. and so she, she's a wounded, dying animal there on the front lawn, and she lashes oh, yeah. out. And she may have gotten a shot in that could have rattled some people a little bit. Because, I'm thinking, yeah, but we'll get there. It's hard to talk about this movie and not just talk about the end. <laughs> yeah, the ending is really important. So things that first night at Champion O'Malley's go reasonably well enough where Buddy's going to invite Mavis to go out the next night, but have again, her come over for dinner, and then they're going to go see Buddy's wife's band play Buddy at is O'Malley's. constantly weaving his wife or his daughter into like every conversation. Like yeah. every piece of conversation, he's always like bringing it back to, oh yeah, my wife. Well... Yeah, that goes back to how oblivious is he. Does You're not really sure if he picks up on it the first night. And if he does, why does he keep inviting her to things? Because right. that would seem like a bad idea. Well, I think so you have to take it like he doesn't know that she's all in to try to get him back kind of a I thing. I think or? as soon as I showed up and she was dressed like that, I would be like, I got to go. I'm going to get myself into trouble. Yeah, but he's a hick. I know. He thinks that she's sophisticated and lives in the big city, right. so he kind of defers to her on that kind of stuff. That's true. Yeah. He's just like, well, she's this. these are the clothes that she owns <laughs> right. because she's living this glamorous life. I mean, in truth, her life is not really that glamorous. I doubt she even made all that much money for doing the ghostwriting shit. Yeah, although, I mean, it but seems they, like she it, does well enough. Them, I mean, that apartment can't be cheap. Right. I'm not saying she's doing bad, but right. like, yeah, as far as, you know, her being a celebrity or glamorous or rich or anything, it's not really the case. But to them, to these small town people, it is. Well, yeah. Real quick, going back to a part towards the beginning before she leaves Minneapolis, we see her kind of like her dating life. And I just thought yeah. to myself, man, who is this guy just going on like a random date with Charlize Theron and like, you know, hooking up with her? Like, what a life that is. <laughs> that date is pretty funny because... She is just the worst. She's so <laughs> dismissive of vacuous, his, like, yeah, philanthropy. <laughs> but he fucks her anyway, right? Well, Sarah. absolutely. Back in the hotel room later that night, after Champion O'Malley's, Mavis is pulling her hair one hair at a time. Oh yeah, showing her mental illness. She calls Matt and she's like, "Do you want to go get loaded?" And she goes over to his house, and this is where the first time that we see Colette Wolf. Yeah, hero to the show, really. Yeah, one of my favorites. Right. For sure. This is a reunion for her and Patton Oswalt. He was her mean boss and observe and report. Oh, where okay. He's like yelling yeah. at her. Right. <laughs> I think Jason Reitman was talking about how she came over to his house to do the table read because he always likes to do those table reads. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. And once she was reading this part of Sandra, Matt's sister, he knew that she was going to be in the movie. Oh, yeah. I don't know how that relationship 
formed in the first place. Maybe because they already cast Patton and he knew her from Observe and Report. Could be. I don't know. She's perfect for this role, though. Yeah. It's funny re-watching this movie, seeing how little she's actually in it. Right. She's in it for a few seconds here, but and then she she's has, in it at the end, and that's she, it. Yeah, but she's a key piece of the most important conversation of the movie. Yeah, her idolization of Mavis is one of the backbones of the end of the movie, but also it reveals itself here where she's like, I made you those Rice Krispie treats or whatever. And Mavis has no idea who this person is that she's talking to. Does the whole living situation at Matt's house have any, does that give you pause at all? I don't know what's going on there. No, it doesn't. I just think it's her house and... Yeah, I think because of the problems, he's, you know, he he can't really do much for himself. Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, I wasn't implying, like, incest or anything, (laughs) but I just, uh, I don't know. It just seems a little weird. I get it. I just think that it's a a thing of convenience at that point. Yeah. I guess if one of them were to somehow get married, not that she couldn't get married, but, you know, if he did or whatever something would change in that arrangement yeah but, but for the time neither being, one of them really getting any suitors anytime soon <laughs> it doesn't seem like matt makes bourbon in his garage <laughs> yeah <laughs> kind of a weird Important little to know quirk yeah uh he's you know really into like you know the art of making bourbon and mavis not too interested she just wants to drink it <laughs> <laughs> so she starts telling matt about how well her plan is going with buddy and that everything is going to happen it's just a matter of time and she's like the question is who will make the first move and his response is so funny he's like i'm thinking it will be you (laughs) (laughs) having him along to kind of comment on her announcements is definitely fun i I don't know right i in general i don't think i'm a huge fan of Patton oswald as an actor but he works as the guy that's the entry point for the audience in this movie. Right. Yeah. We need him to have her bounce things off of, yeah, or he, else we don't. We can't get a sense of where she's at. Right. He's kind of serves this important role as her conscience in a way, and he brings a certain lightness to it as well. Yeah. Despite the fact that he was beaten with a crowbar. <laughs> yeah. I remember listening to an interview with Diablo Cody, and she was talking about enjoying writing the bit about basically how his cock is like mutilated (laughs) and i was like well that's kind of (laughs) weird oh yeah but i mean i guess if you're a writer those are the things that are fun oh i'm sure yeah but it's just who wants to write boring dialogue when you could talk about mutilated cocks (laughs) (laughs) right it's such a horrible thing to happen to a seemingly nice guy (laughs) who didn't have a lot going for him anyway yeah, and I think the thing that kind of goes under the radar, at least to this point in the movie, is how their relationship, despite the fact that he's pushing back on everything, it kind of is this connection where he's willing to be her partner in crime, and it almost feels like a buddy comedy, because he's taking her on this midnight spying mission to Buddy's house, Oh yeah, and he's got these funny little remarks and comebacks and everything, and they're bouncing off of each other. And that's the heart of the movie. That's right. It, it's secretly more important than what you think is the heart of the movie. And wouldn't you say, like, the scenes with her and Buddy, and I think this is intentional, It's there's so zero chemistry between them. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, how could they have ever have even been a couple that dated for so long? And I think that's kind of the point. It was just like another lifetime when this stuff happened. Yeah, he's a different person and she's not. Right. <laughs> she's stayed the same. Yeah, yeah. And he's changed into this other person. And I I do relate to her in a sense where you kind of have this resentment towards people changing. Yeah. 
<laughs> I kind of know what you mean. Where you're just like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's so great about you? Yeah, you know, when people post pictures of their babies on social media, it's like they're posting pictures of oh, their yeah. death certificates. <laughs> there is that one part in the movie that I was just like, oh, yeah. When Whenever, uh, and we'll get to the scene because it's an important scene, but when her mom is talking to her about the baby and her <laughs> mom says something about it being like the a really cute baby or whatever and she Mavis is just like have you seen it <laughs> like up close right <laughs> so the next day after they go spying on buddy's house for no apparent reason Mavis goes to that bookstore kind of a sad scene here for her <laughs> yeah she sees all the Waverly Place books on she's like discount. oh they got well first she thinks they got their own display yeah. But they're all on clearance. Wow. They must be really popular. Actually, we just got a lot of surplus stock we're trying to clear out. They were big a couple of years ago, but the computer says do not shell, so. Hey, are you, are you writing in there? I'm the author. I'm just signing it. You're Jane McMurray? No. Jane McMurray just created the series. I wrote the book. Mavis Gary Crane. See? Do you know Jane McMurray? Yes, I know her really well. I wrote the book. Okay. Do you want a signed copy for your store? No, that's fine. I can sign as many as you want. It adds value to your stock. Yeah, but once merchandise is signed, we can't send it back to the publisher. Why would you be sending it back to the publisher? We're probably not going to sell them. The series is done. Come on, I told you, you can't write in a Ever, book man. If you listen to her voicemails, and they're kind of hard to hear. Right. And now we're being confronted with it by this clerk at this bookstore, but you kind of know before even the scene that this is the end of this thing. And yet she seems to kind of be in denial about that, too. Well, yeah, I'm sure she's like, well, what am I going to do for a job? Yeah. At this point in the movie, it really turns into such a cringe fest. And it's it's so fucking hard to get through sometimes where you're just like, I don't know if I can take it. You have to look away. Yeah. Starting with this bookstore scene and then pretty much the rest of the yeah, movie. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's tough, so right. cringy. And I have such a hard time watching cringe Moments. You, yeah. you, right. you're the one that picked this movie. I, know. I was like, I don't know if I can handle it. <laughs> I know, but I do love this movie. I, I just think it's worth it at the end. It is. But there were definitely a few moments where I was like, I'm just going to shut this off and pretend <laughs> that I, I, I can't watch this anymore. I know, it is. It's so hard to get through. And again, it's with it's the social cues, not picking up on things. It's But it's just like being a complete embarrassment, basically. And it only gets worse. There's never a moment where she stops and is like, I should end this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Even though she's not really getting that much encouraging like feedback from the things that are happening. Well, the next scene that I want to talk about, I think, addresses this. So yeah. this is when she goes over to Buddy and, and Beth's house, and she finds out about Beth's band, Nipple Confusion, and they're, you right. know, they're going to play this show. And Sad that that name's been taken now. <laughs> Beth is currently this teacher with special needs kids, and they have that chart with the emotions on yes. it. And this is Mavis ca- asks about neutral, like not feeling anything right. at all. This is the first time in the movie where you can start to 
piece together things. And I think it kind of is interesting to keep in mind going forward, especially in some of those climactic cringe scenes. Does Mavis not actually really feel anything ever? Is she just a true sociopath and she doesn't feel normal human emotions? And the only reason she's crying at the end of the movie is because she didn't get what she wanted. Oh, yeah. And not that she's actually really embarrassed or upset about any of that stuff because she doesn't really care because she's kind of a monster. <laughs> I can buy that based on what we see. She definitely acts also, like a sociopath a lot. Right. And it would explain, like, why she's not able to react and, like, vibe off of people's, like, signals and, like, emotional feelers that they're putting out. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, she's definitely putting that idea out there by saying that. I don't want to believe that. I want to believe that there's some good in there, you know? (laughs) They go to Champion O'Malley's. Again, it's so cringy because they're playing the concept by Teenage Fan Club. (laughs) Which is great. And this is when she's like, remember what we used to make out to the song, which is kind of embarrassing. Yeah. And then she brings up, like, the first time I went down on you or whatever. And it's like... And this is the moment where everybody who's not her... And I'm talking about Buddy. Right. Because he hears her say this. Or it's just like... You he ha- should understand then, right at that moment, that this is not a good idea anymore. Right. Because she's clearly not acting how people act. And lines are being crossed. Right. And nobody at any point in this movie steps up and is like, we have somebody who's mentally ill here. We should be handling this a lot different. Instead, they continually put her in these bad positions. But this is why you do feel like she is devoid of emotion because even if someone got to this point, you throw something like that out there. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big one that you're, you're just throwing out there. That's, that's a risk. And if someone reacts in a way that's basically like, okay, I'm going to shrug this off. Like it didn't happen. The feeling that you should have is embarrassment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like you should be like, Oh shit, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't like, if that were me, (laughs) well, I do think that if that were me to say, hey, remember when I went down on you, <laughs> you know, to Patrick Wilson. Yeah, I would be fucking pacing around the parking lot being like, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. That was too far. I would be thinking like about it. Philip Seymour Hoffman and Boogie Nights. Right. Yes, exactly. And I would still be like 10 years later when everyone has moved on with their lives and like no one can even remember. I'm still like, I can't believe I fucking said that that night. Yeah. I think that it's important to realize that you should take her word for it later in the movie when she's talking to different people or throughout the movie, whether it's her parents. Well, part of that's a deleted scene when she's talking to her mom, but also when she talks to Matt or whoever, and she's saying that things are going great with Buddy and that she it's it's bound to happen. It's about right. to happen. Yes. You, you actually have to start believing that she believes that. Yeah. I think the first time you watch this movie, you think that she's lying because yeah. you as the audience know that it, that's not the case. And you're like, well, she's just lying. Oh, right. But no, I think she actually does think that things are going well and she's about to get what she wants. Even though you see no evidence justifying that belief. Right. And that I just know. furthers the mental right. illness narrative. That's why multiple viewings of this movie might be rewarding where you start to piece together. Oh, because I, agree. I think the first time you watch it, you're just like, She's just a fucking bitch. Well, the first time... And she's lying. Yeah. And she doesn't know what... Blah, blah, blah. But then you start to realize, like, oh, no, wait a minute. She actually isn't lying. She thinks that that's right. true. Yeah. And she's just that wrong. Yeah, because no one would continue this if they didn't believe it. Yeah, you would to, think. To the points that she goes. I mean, the first time I saw this movie, that whole scene where they're going over, like, 
the emotions and like those faces and everything. I, that was just like a throwaway scene for me. Like, I, I, I didn't even remember it at the end, but that's yeah. something like upon rewatch and knowing where you're going, you're like, oh, okay, I know what they're saying with this scene. Right. After the show at Champion O'Malley's, Mavis drives Buddy home while the band of made up of mothers, Nipple Confusion, stays out to drink. Buddy is super drunk and he's susceptible to what Mavis is pushing on him here. And they share this kiss in his driveway that's broken up by the babysitter. Definitely like she's steering that. Oh, for sure. But I just don't think you can let Buddy off the hook for this, especially yeah, he doesn't. Especially do much. in 2019 he, climate, well, where true. being drunk is not an excuse. He doesn't do much to shut it down. Yes, and I, I know it's not an excuse, but I mean, come on. <laughs> the movie goes to great. Charlie Theron is like refusing to let you just walk away on your own. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it that's a tough one. Now, if the roles were reversed and she was the man, then you would definitely say that. He's taking advantage of her, and that's wrong. And Absolutely, it, yeah. He, she is taking advantage of him, and it is wrong. But I don't think that you can entirely let him off the hook. I agree with that. I just don't. Watching this movie a few I, times, you start to see that other people are kind of enabling her behavior. Yeah, and I it's, think they kind of get what they deserve as far as the awkward horribleness. After <laughs> the whole part where she's talking about yeah, we used to make out to this song. It was playing like the first time I went down on you. After that, he needed to go to his wife and be like, this is a bad idea. You could maybe buy that he doesn't want to bring it up with his wife because it's embarrassing. And maybe he well accepted that invitation to hang out with her the first time without thinking it through. And then it kind of becomes like his problem. Yeah. But at some point, he they obviously have this conversation about it. And then the end result somehow of that conversation is to keep inviting her to things, well, which yeah. is insane. And I mean, I just think he needed to get it out there in some way, whatever it is, that it's like probably not really a good idea for her to drive him home alone, the two of them. Yeah. After this, she again goes out with Matt at night. They go to Woody's again. They see her cousin, Mike, who is... Quote, the popular cripple. This, I mean, the way that these two are talking about him kind of reminds me of how you and I are on this podcast. <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's the subtle storytelling going on in this movie is that they're bonding over these things. Right. That normal people bond over things they like. They bond over things Baseball, they hate. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is just some guy that has collectively somehow ruined different parts of each <laughs> Annoyed of their lives. Them, basically. Yeah, right. <laughs> And this is, by the way, a guy who should be, like, a positive story for most people. Yeah. He, he was, like, a guy who had a lot going for him, was in a car accident, now he's in a wheelchair, and he's, like, super positive, like, has a bunch of friends, has a whole life. Right, And yeah. it's, like... They these hate two, him for you, that. Right. <laughs> Matt is not necessarily wrong for doing that, because I think people respond to adversity differently, and... You can't necessarily hold somebody to the same standard as what somebody else is doing. Because Matt isn't even in a wheelchair. His He's able to walk with like a crutch. I don't know. It's just different. I mean, her cousin Mike was in a car accident. Matt was beaten up. So, I mean, it's, it's a different, it's a whole different thing. That's true. Really. You yeah. can't judge them the same way. But it is funny that they just bond over how much <laughs> they can't stand this guy. Yeah. As we mentioned Mavis gets that invitation to the baby naming ceremony. Well, of he calls Buddy her and- for this one. Right. Which, Which is, again, is like, uh, you're just feeding into this. And it's almost like, after the show... I know from experience that you think getting a call means something. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. But 
at this point, if he doesn't make this call and invite her to this baby naming ceremony, what's going to happen with her in this movie? Like, where does she think it's going? Well, I guess if he doesn't call her to invite her to this, she probably would have eventually made the move Another herself. Move. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she's just going to stay in town. Yeah. And okay. So eventually is- at the end of the, towards the end of the movie, it's revealed what is really going on behind the scenes that causes this invitation. But I actually don't feel like that changes anything as far as Buddy's role in all of this. Oh, I agree with because that. Because yeah. he's his own person. He knows Mavis way more than Beth does. If she's feeling sorry for Mavis or what, whatever she's feeling about Mavis is her business. But Buddy's the one that actually knows Mavis. And he at some point, he should stand up and be like, I know what you're thinking, and I know that would be maybe a nice thing to do for some people, but this is not that situation. Like, we should oh, not right. be doing this. Yeah. And yet he just does it. And I'm not letting Mavis off off the hook. I mean, she does terrible shit. She's has really only herself to blame for how she acts at the baby naming ceremony but i'm just saying you know she's mentally ill and other people aren't appreciating that they're not understanding it right that's definitely clear so this is when she runs into her mother this is the first time she's seen her parents right which and is there's no indication that she was going to contact them at all this is one of my favorite scenes in the movie when i saw this the first time i was like oh wow i'm sure that like there's a bunch of people that are like okay that's obvious but I just loved so much that her parents weren't fucked up. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, you want to believe there's a reason that she's like this. Maybe there is, but right. it's not her parents. Yeah, yeah. Like you Necessarily. The- but here's the thing, though. Her parents are well-meaning and kind, but they're clearly right. ill-equipped to deal with someone like her. They Absolutely, have no yeah. idea. Because she flat out says, yeah, I think I might be an alcoholic. And her mom's response is basically, like, very funny. Right. She doesn't take it seriously at all. Yes, that's true. They enable the situation in some way. Yeah, and possibly they're in denial. I mean, it's also possible that they're just not around her enough to know how well, bleak it's gotten. Obviously, they know it's a problem. She lives like a, a life where she's cut off from them, basically. Yeah. You kind of get like the small town vibe because it's like they have heard that she's in town for this real estate thing <laughs> right yeah. her mom's like you know your aunt's upset that you didn't use her as her your broker <laughs> like i wonder how far away mercury is from devil's kettle that's a good question <laughs> <laughs> so another night hanging out with matt i think this is when they go to the woods behind the school which has to be kind of a triggering location for matt <laughs> well he is talking about it yeah, right? he's not like yeah. super thrilled to go there it is one of those things where it's like, well, Charlie Theron is asking me to go, so I guess I got to go. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's like if someone's doing that, will you buy this? I'm like, yep, I'm buying it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's funny to me that in this scene, Mavis accuses Matt of all of the things that are going on with her. Right. <laughs> yeah. Stunted growth, fixated on the past. She makes the sloppy analogy of the crutch, which is so obvious and in your face and almost embarrassing that she even yes, went there. right. I don't know. This movie in general, to me, it touches on a topic that I like to bring up a lot, especially recently on this podcast, which is that journey through the past idea. And she's basically that character. She's the reality of that. She's not the romanticized version of a a journey through the past. She 
is the nightmare version of a romantic comedy. She, you know, you see a movie like My Best Friend's Wedding or one, one of those right. silly okay, romantic yes. comedies where everything kind of somehow works out great, even though in like reality... people's lives are being ruined yeah, here. Yeah, people are sociopaths I and love stuff. that, yeah. This I, is the reality <laughs> of those characters. This right. is what that actually looks like. I love that in, like, romantic comedies where it involves, like, multiple people, like, splitting up and, like, getting with other Yeah, somehow people. everything kind of... Like, well realigns itself yeah like everyone oh okay it was wrong i shouldn't have been with your sister i'm actually in love with your other sister and like my friend is gonna marry what was my wife and it's it's just like i mean not for nothing people lives are being torn apart here this isn't for enjoyment so this is mavis and matt's first uh, i guess you would call it a disagreement or fight about everything where he's He's serving as her conscience, like I said, but I guess at this point he feels like he needs to put more of a foot down and try to stop her from doing this, and she's well, yeah, because it's it. starting to unravel here. I think he felt like okay, you you can give it a shot, but you're going to embarrass yourself. I think was right. how he felt about it originally, but now he's starting to feel like it's building and yeah, building this into is, this bigger thing, yeah, and it's out of control. Something bad is going to happen. So she leaves him in the woods. I always thought that was strange too because. I'm assuming they took the same car to get there to the school, and they're in the woods. And I thought about that, she too. She just walks out of the woods and leaves him there, right. and it's like, well, does she just leave him in the woods? Yeah. I do think Because the, the next scene is her writing at the Kentaco hut. Right. Which, I, at a certain point, I do kind of get lost in, like, is she still driving her car places? Like, does she drive to the house? Well, she crashes end? the one thing, and then she takes the other thing. She doesn't drive to her house. She gets in the car with her mom. Okay, right. Yeah, once she crashes the what is that the Mini Cooper yeah, into yeah. the light pole, she right. kind of just leaves it there until okay. the end of the movie. Yes. So then she gets a ride to her parents' house, and then she gets her old high school car, which is that Volkswagen That's Cabriolet right. or yes. whatever that is. I'm assuming they took that car to get to the school, and then she just leaves while Matt is still in the woods. So yep. I don't know if she just leaves him there or what. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think that like when you get to these small towns, I mean, the whole town is probably only three miles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you can probably walk most places realistically. Sometimes in order to heal, a few people have to get hurt, is what she writes in the Waverly Prep yeah. book leading into the so cringe kinda, of all cringe yeah, scenes. This kind of gives you a mind for where she's going with this. I don't really know how to even talk about the baby naming ceremony. Other than, like, why it's, would anyone do this? It's the roughest scene to right. watch, really. Yeah. It's so humiliating and horrible. Yeah, it's so shocking. It is one of the most shocking things I've seen in a movie in a theater ever. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I was like, holy shit. I was not expecting it to go this far. The end of the 2018 version of Suspiria doesn't even come close. (laughs) (laughs) Right. First, there's the declaration privately with just Buddy, and she's shot down in a really embarrassing way. Again, another one of these moments where she's like, Let's talk in private. Yes. And he's just like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, again, I get it. I get that Buddy and Beth and, to a certain extent, everyone else, her parents, other people in Mercury, they are trying to be nice. Yes. They think that niceness will solve everything. And Yeah, they're a little naive on that front. They don't understand that over the course of these couple days, they've actually just made things dramatically worse. And they're sticking to this niceness up until the bitter end. That part of her being shot down and rebuffed by Buddy is bad enough, and yet everything keeps escalating and further. And here we go. 
once again. I mean, Buddy actually does try to shut it down at this point. Yes. But she's not it's, yeah, it. It's true, and he, it's certainly that's the right thing for him to do in this moment, but it feels like too little too late. Yeah. That she's... And, and he really doesn't even do enough there because he kind of goes back right back to like ignoring it. Right. He's like, I think, I think yeah, and I think it, a little bit of truth is revealed in this moment where he it's clear that he just like doesn't know how to deal with any of this. Right. It's a super embarrassing you, thing though? because okay, so he's moved on with his life after their relationship. Whatever happened happened and he's married and he has a kid and he's happy and he's living his day-to-day life. But in reality, no matter what he has a special place in his memory for Mavis. Mavis was important to him at one point in his life. He doesn't think badly of her in any no, way. right. He may even idolize her in a not necessarily romantic sense. Like, he's not trying to get back together with but her. But he's like, oh, that is cool. Like, you went out into She's the world cool. and did stuff. Yeah. She ha- he has positive feelings. He remembers loving her at one point. And watching her do this is kind of disturbing to him because not just because it affects him yeah. in his life but he's seeing somebody who meant a lot to him and who he probably remembers fondly acting s- in a way that he doesn't quite understand like yeah, he I clearly can, doesn't understand yeah. anything about what's going on with her so he's just seeing her act like this and he's not getting it he's like what the fuck i can certainly say i cannot imagine something like this happening to me no. being in the buddy role no, 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 of this no. yeah <laughs> Certainly not. I don't think there's a lot of contenders out there that are, would be like, Matt, <laughs> I need to get back together yeah. with you so bad. <laughs> Most are just like, Matt who? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember exactly how this all plays out. So then it goes out into the lawn. There's like this semi-weird moment with Beth that results in this accidental spill of the wine onto her shirt and her dress is ruined. How does that even set up? Like, well, she, is she storming okay, out of the party? Can, or? Yeah. So first, she goes downstairs, finds a bottle of Maker Maker's Mark, right? <laughs> slams like three glasses of it. Oh yeah. Then yeah, goes yeah. outside and is like, things are starting to get shaky. <laughs> it's we're on the edge here. And then she says to Beth, "I want like a real drink, but there's no nothing, you know, hard around here or whatever." And Beth grabs like. I don't know what it is. It looks like wine. Yeah. But there's like ice in it, I think, and everything. She grabs it and then turns. And she's like, oh, here you go. And Mavis like turns it right into Mavis and like spills the whole fucking jug of liquor all over her beautiful silk shirt. Right. Which, by the way, I will say, I mean, she looks good throughout this movie. I think Charlize Theron looks absolutely stunning in this outfit that she wears to this party. With the weird. Yeah. I'm into it. It's like a pirate shirt. I'm into it. Yeah. I don't care. This leads into the whole meltdown on the lawn, and it just like keeps escalating into this worse and worse thing. Yeah, yeah. Where and she finally proclaims, "This could have been me. I could have had." This. Yeah, she reveals that she was pregnant at twenty and had a miscarriage, and it was buddies. And this is kind of that parting shot because, look, it's not gonna lead to a divorce or right. or anything, and and people aren't gonna necessarily be mad at Buddy about this, but it's gonna make him look like. Did he know about this pregnancy? Yeah. Who we don't even I don't even know who broke up with who. What like what happened? I don't know, but it, this seems like it's all part of it too with like even with her parents and everything. You know what I mean? Did her parents know she was pregnant? I feel like they did, maybe not, but I, I just feel like it's one of those things that everyone tries to ignore, much like the people of this town are ignoring her now. And it's clear that this miscarriage is what set the stage 
for all of this. Right. She may not have been a great person anyway, and tons of people have miscarriages and they they don't act like her. I'm not giving her a free pass to do whatever she wants. True. But clearly she never recovered from this incident and that's been underneath the surface and she's letting it out here. And the way that I feel about this scene here is someone, whether it's Buddy's mother or another adult or even if it would have been Beth or somebody or Buddy or whoever, someone at some point during this should have stepped in and protected Mavis from herself and realized that she's having this meltdown and just because she's embarrassing herself and you know what I mean? Like someone should have been like, okay, this has gone on far enough. Yeah. You I mean, her I- mom does try. She says, Mavis, honey, you're drunk. Yeah. Not, not a lot of effort there. Yeah. Not getting it. They're bl- still, she's blaming the booze. Right. That's the thing. Like to us as an audience, I guess it's more obvious what's going on, that there's a mental illness here and other people just aren't accepting that. Yeah. Because even blaming the booze in that moment is still not getting it. True. And there's not much of an effort to really, you know, try to pull her away from the scene here. And when Buddy finally comes outside because he's setting up the stupid (laughs) drum, it's like, Jesus Christ, these people. Yeah. I don't even understand. It's a baby naming ceremony and he's getting her a gift. Uh, Yeah. What the fuck is going on? Who doesn't name a baby right away? People in the, the suburbs, like, it's so bored. You know what I mean? Like, I just, just relate to Mavis more than anyone else in I this know. movie. <laughs> well, every that's the thing. It's like once this becomes your life, it it is just this shit every weekend. Like stuff like this is always going on. Yeah, and it's it's just such a waste of time, and it's like who fucking cares? I don't get it. They could be watching like Criterion Collection movies. Well, just name your baby when it's born, like a normal person. I don't understand what this even is. They and he's be, buying her a drum set. I feel like. When Buddy reveals that it was Beth that insisted that he invite her to this, that it doesn't really let Buddy off the hook. Because as I've stressed a couple of times, he's the one that should know her better than these other people. I think Buddy kind of does a... I think it's kind of shitty, and it makes it seem like he's trying to absolve himself of the blame when he throws it on Beth in front of everyone. Right. Even if it's true about Beth, he could take some blame here. Right. I I just think that no one... I get it. Like, from their perspective, if they're actually that oblivious and they're not understanding that this is more than just pettiness and bitchiness and jealousy on Mavis's part, but there's something deeper going on. If they're not getting that, then I get it. I get that she was this potential threat to their marriage and they're trying to shut it down and stay strong and she's just a villain and nothing more. Right. But it's hard to not look at this from any other perspective than what we see as the audience. And we're like, isn't it, should this not be obvious to other people that she's clearly having a hard time with life and maybe somebody needs to help her out? Well, it is, but that's the thing. Their defense is they do feel like they're helping out. Obviously what they're doing is not working, but buddy is like, she invited you because she feels sorry for you. We all feel sorry for you. Which is kind of weird when he says that, because I'm like, yeah, where is that coming from? Well, that's, yeah, well, that's, we don't know. Is it because of the divorce? We don't know what the story is. There might be something else we're missing, which I guess that you would say that's the frustrating part of the script, where it feels like we are missing one big piece to understand what is happening. Right. But maybe that's just it, too, where it's just like, well, you can't explain everything. So as Mavis has done time and time again, she turns to Matt. Oh, boy. Their bond over anger and unhappiness. In maybe the most 
unbelievable couple for a sex scene in movie history. Charlize Theron and Patton Oswalt. So she shows up at Matt's house and she's distraught and crying. And as I pointed out, even what she says in this moment. She is acting completely just bizarre here. Yeah, well, even the things that she says don't add up to her necessarily understanding what just transpired. Oh, I agree. It feels like she's still kind of hung up on like, I didn't get what I wanted. And that's it. The actual humiliation of that meltdown is not registering that much. Yeah, but even it's like, more like I wanted to have Buddy, I didn't get him, and now I'm mad. Well, even but like the lead up to the sex scene is just so strange. She says, "Nobody loves me. You don't love me." And he says, "Guys like me are born loving women like you," <laughs> <laughs> which might be the best line Diablo Cody's ever written. Right. <laughs> so perfect. Yes. <laughs> so relatable. Yeah. <laughs> So she takes off her ruined dress, and then she says she wants Matt's shirt, the, the one that he's wearing in that moment, and so he takes his shirt off, and they proceed to have the oddest sex scene ever. And Which we don't see a lot of. No, but we do see his fucked up leg. Yeah, that's true. And he asks her, like, what is it about Buddy? Which I think the audience the, at this point yeah, has seriously. already come to. It's like, well, why are you so hung up on this dude? He clearly is not interested, and he seems like the most boring dude ever. And she's just like, he knew me when I was at my best. So that you do kind of get it. A so little she's bit more. Yeah. yeah, she's more obsessed with just the she, past and, than and obsessed with where else. what what she was at this time in life. Yeah. And I get it. I've definitely gone through some phases, <laughs> you know, like where I've been like, wow, at one point I had this in like these options. And then it just felt like it's all gone. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like I get it. Later, after the sex scene, when Matt is asleep, she goes into the house. Because I guess Matt lives in the garage or something. I don't know. Yeah. and she, I do like her just kind of making herself at home here. <laughs> she runs into Matt's sister, Sandra, call it wolf again. And she's still, it is, she's still very somber and still, it's like this big thing happened. And she's still kind of like recovering in the aftermath of it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like. She's still kind of very down, and that kind of leads into this conversation. Yeah, and this scene, as we mentioned, kind of makes this whole movie, and it it makes it what it is, which is something different from your typical bad person. Right, because all indications at this point are she's going to change her life, go to rehab, something. Learn a lesson out of all of this. And instead, she encounters this person, Sandra, who also went to the same school as everyone, who idolizes her. Yeah. And who even says things like, I'll find myself thinking about you and yeah. your life and like living in the city and going out. <laughs> right. It's really sad. She fills the void. She lives the lie that Mavis has been telling herself about how great her life is. Like she is the embodiment of what Mavis assumed everyone thought yeah. about her. And Sandra builds mavis back up with this pep talk of like fuck this place who cares about these people these people are dumb (laughs) she's just like these people are dumb and fat yeah who Who cares cares about them and mavis just like you know they should all die yeah this place blows and it's (laughs) so great there's something it's not just the message it's like the pacing the beat like her delivering these lines like kind of like slowly building to like fuck mercury Like, it's just so good. But I even love, like, the way that the conversation starts because Colette Wolf's character is like, 
not really like she's kind of nervous a little bit you can tell like she's not really sure and like mavis is definitely like steering it in this direction of like what did you think of beth yeah yeah, and, yeah. like <laughs> she's not as pretty as you yeah and then it's like you know what bingo she hit it yeah, <laughs> now like, go down that road like, like <laughs> i don't really like her <laughs> it's so great and that you know at the very end of this whole thing like mavis is like yeah you're right like fuck mercury like why do i care about what these fucking people think and the interesting thing about this movie is we get that mavis is not necessarily a great person and she tried to do something bad but the overall message is kind of left ambiguous where you're kind of like i don't know is it so wrong to be like fuck these people i have something else going on i don't need to i don't know i don't think necessarily that's what they're pushing but except there's obviously something wrong going on with her right you could look at it like you don't need to be hung up on what people from your past think of you, which isn't necessarily a bad message. It's not. There's kind of a mixed message there of like, we know that Mavis is <laughs> fucked up and she did some bad things. And maybe the way that she's getting to this conclusion is not the greatest. But was it so great to be hung up on what her past and what all those people from her past think? And Well, it didn't work out very well. Right. So I don't know. I mean... She's this unrepentant character, and she stays that way till the end. And she's just basically giving a middle finger to everyone. In the real saddest, and I love it. In the real saddest moment of the movie, <laughs> the uh, take me with you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you're good here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you should stay here. You're good here. Yeah, it's brutal. You're right. This place blows. I need to get back to Minneapolis. Take me with you. Excuse me? Take me with you. You know, to the Minneapolis. You're good here, Sandra. But no closing moments with Matt either. Just leaves him asleep. Well, I mean, yeah. what, how, how is she going to give him anything more than what she already gave That's him? That's true. She gave him the best gift he's ever going to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, she, you know, she finished writing it in a diner, her Waverly Place story, and she basically just goes back to Minneapolis. And she's going to move on with her life with the same issues, just right. like the rest of us do. This was just kind of a weird little diversion in her day-to-day life. How long would this be talked about back in town? Oof. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, Remember when Mavis Gary came back to town and she had just like a complete <laughs> meltdown? Yeah. Like those girls in the band? Well, that's pretty much that. A lot of those conversations have been going on about me right. for years. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when he showed up at sidelines? Um, <laughs> what do you mean you're not yeah, ready that's, to well, leave? That, that's the thing. Those people in the band like already hated her. And I guess you could take that as being like she was a bitch to them in high school. But I don't know. I was like, has she done things like this before? Is this not the first time that weird shit has been going on? Who knows? Know. Yeah. You don't really have any indication. You know, Who knows what she's done? It seems like she's had a checkered past, to say the least. I'd say so. Yeah. So the movie ends and I don't know. It's. It's a fun ending for me because I think so. It's so different from what you would usually see and I'm glad they stuck with it and they steered into that and 
I think hopefully the movie's been finding a yeah. bigger audience as it as it's gone on. I mean, there is stuff in it that feels hokey or unrealistic at times, but I mean, for the most part, the stuff at the core of the movie does feel very real to me. And when I feel that way in movies, those, those are the ones that I take something away from that I'm like, I really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. So, you know, there you go. For all the people that say I just like depressing movies, it's because life is depressing. <laughs> All right, so that'll do it for Young Adult. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod. Subscribe on iTunes. And we will talk to you all again very soon. Absolutely. All right, we'll see you. I've never been too good with names. The out but okay what i have these notes do you know what this line means at the same time question mark does he say something like that to her or does she I say think something he, like that to him is he talking about like how it works <laughs> with his dick i don't know i make these i'm I, thinking it, it does because he keeps talking about how he like how he takes a piss and then how he comes like that comes up a couple times i don't know yeah but i don't then I just have the word window written here. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't remember that. I don't...
I was. I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I got kind of drunk. I was <laughs> kind of drunk watching this. Maybe it's scary. I don't know what the fuck I was writing <laughs> at the same time. Question mark in quotes, meaning someone said it, and then it just says window. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> so where were we? Uh, 